0: Play them on the money line, and then roll it over every single time they win. Way out of here! Oh goodness!
1: The last seven games in which they've come in with rest have all gone under. Got it! Two and a half seconds
0: to go. Plus one fifteen—the price I pay for this. the yeah, I like it. He makes the catch at the ten, and he's in for a touchdown. This is behind the bets, the podcast. Welcome in the latest Behind the Bets podcast. We are taping this on Tuesday, July 27th. It is NBA draft week, so we wanted to get this draft posted or this podcast posted earlier in the week just to give it a little bit more shelf life. And I know some books take down a lot of props. Draft props are very interesting. We talked about this with the NFL. It is uh, information. So, for example, if you have a five point favorite on a Tuesday, by Wednesday morning, they're not going to be a five-point dog unless there's like a major injury or something like that. But you do see this kind of movement with the juice, sometimes with the draft position. We're seeing that uh, with a couple guys already this week in the NBA draft. So coming up next is Mike Schmitz does an awesome job for us at ESPN. He is your NBA draft uh, analyst and guru. He's really plugged in. We were lucky enough to have Mel Kuiper Jr before the NFL draft. So we're going to have Mike here and Mike's definitely a uh, betting savvy. So he'll, he'll say over or under on some guys. We're going to run through the top 10. I would say the flex there's tiers, Like that's the case in all the draft. Like we know Cunningham's a huge favorite to go one. So we're just going to run through some of the top picks, then get the next like five through 10. So where could other guys go? And then some over-unders. We're going to rip through some, some over-unders and like a range of guys, which obviously the people making the over-unders, um, certainly understand so they put sort of in the middle but there's some solid plays and i have a few that i really 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 like and then after we talk to mike when we wrap up the podcast i will kind of say where i'm leaning right now we don't have any 100 to 1 long shots unfortunately but uh there is some good value out there just because you got to read the tea leaves uh, understand sort of how draft betting works it's a different animal than like the games are that i alluded to a moment ago but that's uh that's what we're going to do. So we're going to have Mike coming up next, and then I'll have the, kind of the put a bow on things at the end. Money won is twice as sweet as money earned. All right, time now to welcome in a guest I really, really wanted to get on, so he was nice enough to fit us in. Mike Schmitz, who uh, does NBA draft an- uh, analysis for us here at ESPN. Mike, thanks for taking the time, man. I know you're super busy. Yeah, no problem. I'm uh, actually in transit on my way to New York here for the draft, so um, we're, we're getting closer. All right. Yeah. No kidding. And perfect timing. So we got you in route just in the next couple of days. I mean, obviously every year is different, but how, how much do you think things will change in the first round between now and the actual draft?
1: Yeah, I think that teams for the most part, you know, have kind of their, their big boards set to some degree, but you know, the biggest thing I think that can change things is, is traits, honestly. Um, and you know, that's where from a, from a betting perspective, you know, you're you're locked in on, you know, your your lock of the draft or whatever it is, you can't miss bet and then some team moves into the top ten and you know, um that kind of throws everything uh for a loop. So that's that's the only thing I think um that can really change things. But, you know, other than that, I have a pretty good sense that, you know, the way we see things in the top, I don't know, ten or so, um feels solid but again it's it's always fluid we got more than 48 hours to go here
0: great so let's talk about just the first pick because you know the the betting odds are what we saw with trevor lawrence at the jets pretty pretty um extreme but you know the pistons whether it be doing their due diligence or whatnot they've tried out a bunch of guys how solid are we with cunningham because there are reports of trade at least interest from other teams now not necessarily detroit but teams wanting to go up
1: Yeah, I I think pretty solid. You know, I I think Vegas has this one, right. Um, You know, I think Cunningham will will ultimately be the guy. And, you know, even if it is like, you know, say Detroit, and this is completely hypothetical, but say say Detroit is, you know, more interested in Evan Mobley or Jalen Green and they want to swap with Houston, you know, and then Houston moves up to take Cunningham at number one. Like, I think, ultimately cunningham is going to go number one regardless i feel like 99 percent pretty confident about that um i think the league feels the same way but you know detroit doing their due diligence i don't think it's anything more than that
0: yeah we saw that basically a few years ago with tatum and fultz with the uh, with the um sixers and celtics so danny Ainge still got his guy and just picked up a a draft pick along the way so we have cunningham one now Two Houston really, you know, all indications that they want to make a splash. Jalen Green is certainly that guy with a high ceiling. Is that who you have at two as well?
1: Yeah, all indications I'm hearing are, you know, Jalen Green at number two to the Rockets. Um, you know, I think they're looking for a star and a guy who can come in and kind of excite that fan base. They're pretty much in a almost starting from scratch in, in some sense. I mean. You know, new new front office, at least, you know, Raphael Stone kind of first time really running the show here. So um, don't fully know like, yeah, exactly what they're going to do at some other picks, but, you know, you hear that Jalen Green feels pretty locked in at number two. So I, I feel very confident that those, those top two and even the top three
0: are pretty set in stone here. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously way more connected than I am, but I feel like Mobley at three, like those three are pretty solid with just, From what I've read, not just with you, but with others and the interest level with the Cavaliers and Mobley and just given Mobley's potential.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I think that they would, you know, love to have a player of that caliber. They could use somebody like that, some additional length. And um, yeah, I mean, this has been kind of the order for for almost two years now. I mean, you know, yes, Jonathan Gavoni, who does a great job with, you know, rankings, mock draft, all that follows this as closely as anyone um you know he's had this exact top three for the last 18 months when we first debuted our first mock draft uh, 18 months ago so that's kind of been how it's how it's been and I, I it's what i expected to be on drafting
0: wow so you mentioned trades can always change things and obviously there's reports of the cavaliers moving one of their backcourt members how much could that mix things up
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think potentially, you know, if, if they're moving one of their backcourt members, maybe that's to get another pick, right. You know, and, and I don't know if that pick would be something that really shook up like the, you know, the top five or anything like that. Um, you know, what, what would be interesting is if somebody, you know, outside the top five, um, wants to get up there, right. And, and wants to, you know, say they want to go to four or something like that. And, and they think that, you know, maybe Jalen Suggs, they, they don't see him as the fourth best player in this draft, right? Um, I think anyone who would move inside the top three would probably still target one of those three guys. It seems like there's a pretty strong consensus in the league that, like, those are the top three prospects in this draft. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if a team were to move up to say four and, you know, maybe it's like, hey, we think Scotty Barnes is, is the, be- the fourth best player or we think James Booknight is the fourth best player then that could, you know, shake things up a little bit.
0: So that's my question is after Mobley, I feel like there's tiers in every sport and every draft. It, it feel like the, after three, there's like another tier of a few guys where it looks like Suggs is the, where the odds indicate. But how, who do you have at four and with what certainty? Because it sounds like one through three, you're feeling pretty confident. But at four, things could get a little different, although Suggs is the, the, the consensus pick so to speak yeah
1: I think like from a basketball perspective there's a little drop off there like talent wise and um but I still I I I think that if Toronto stays at four I think they take Jalen Suggs you know he he fits their culture he fits he's a tough kid who could play with Fred Van Vliet so like if, if they were to stay there um I you know I think that that would be the pick and honestly I think if someone were to move up um, from, you know, wherever, wherever it is, outside the top 10 or or what have you, they, I, I could see them targeting Jalen Suggs at four anyway, just because, you know, I, the the thought would be that you could still get, if, if, if a team moving up really did want to move up for like a Barnes or for a book night, like you probably wouldn't have to move all the way to four to do it, you know? So um, that's why I feel, I feel pretty confident about like the top three, I feel 99% sure. Maybe Jalen Suggs, at four, I feel 90% sure.
0: Okay, so then five, it gets interesting, it sounds like, because Kaminga's in the mix. You mentioned Barnes already. He's a guy that a lot of teams love, just the upside, so to speak. So where would you uh, anticipate five here?
1: Yeah, I think ultimately, that'll be Scotty Barnes. Um, You know, he just kind of fits what the Orlando front office has always been about, and that's length and versatility. He's a really high-character kid. Um, So, you know, I think if, if they, if they do stay there, um, then that, that would be the pick most likely. Um, Again, anything can, you know, I feel probably about as confident with, with, um, with Scotty Barnes five as, as I would Jalen Suggs four. It's just a matter of like, again, is is there going to be some movement because the reality is like Orlando, they have two picks. Right. And and that's attractive, you know, to, to different teams, having, two picks in that top five so is it a situation where somebody sliding into to five like maybe they're going up there to get James Booknight you know or maybe they're going up there because they think people are sleeping on Jonathan Kaminga or or whatever it is um but I I think that if they stay there the pick is Scotty Barnes.
0: okay yeah no that that's that's logical to me and then do you like Kaminga at six to OKC because OKC is another team with a boatload of picks yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know,
1: OKC, I think, is going to be a major player in this just because this is why you gather this many picks, right? Like so that you can move up and go get a guy. And and we talked about this being this generational draft you know, with three potential number one picks. All right. It's go time. You know, like nobody better than Sam Presti um, to, you know, I, he's one of the best at wheeling and dealing and getting maximum value. And now he's got this treasure trove. So like let's see if he can go up there and, and get one of these guys. Um, but if they were to stay put, you know, I, I tend to lean um, book tonight at six, to be honest. Um, you know, I just, I think that he could fit with Shago, Gilchrist Alexander and some of the pieces that they have. And, um, you know, you've heard his name as high as six all year. Um, you know, I've heard that the thunder uh, you know, like, like a lot of these guys probably like his talent and his scoring ability. So uh, I, if it was, if I were making the choice between Kaminga and Barnes, I mean, Kaminga and book Booknight at six, I would, I would definitely lean
0: um, book Knight as of now for, for okay. right. But they could deal. Yes. And, and the next team is the one I think is, should be dealing and just because of their championship window with Clay Thompson coming back and then Steph, obviously 31, I believe. I'm going off memory there, and then Draymond there, a little older. So, the Warriors have a kind of a win now, and then you have Wiseman's Like, I just think they should package these guys, whether it be Bradley Beal, Siakam, whatever. But you know, as of now, the Warriors hold the seventh pick. So, who who fits them in sort of their championship window, even if they're going to lean on young guys?
1: Yeah, that's they're the most interesting team, you know, in, in the lottery. Just having those two picks, you mentioned their situation, um, you know. The question is are there enough deals out there to go get that guy right like they might very well just end up taking seven and 14 and uh or maybe it's a situation where um you know they move back to 10 you know and and, and they go get memphis's pick and maybe get an additional player as well you know like memphis has you know several kind of young guys on rookie deals who could help them you know right now so um, maybe they feel like they can go get, uh, you know, a similar level player, someone they like at seven, they think might be there at 10. Right. So I could see something like that potentially. Um, but in, if they do stay put, you know, everything you hear is kind of that they want to take one swing and one safe, you know, like they, they want to have kind of a long view with one guy and then they want to have, you know, an an NBA ready guy who can help you right away. So when you look at the prospects you know, I think if Kaminga's there, you got to think long and hard about him as kind of a swing guy book nights there. I think, you know, he, he would definitely be a guy they look at. One kind of sleeper prospect at that spot is Franz Wagner. Hmm. Um, you know, he, he's really kind of fits their style of play um, and can help them right away. He, he, the, the thing I just talked about, about one swing, one safe, he kind of checks both because He's he's not even 20 years old. You know, he's younger than Suggs. He's younger than Mobley. He's younger than Sharif Cooper, but he's a sophomore. Um, but he's also, like, ready to go right now. I mean, he played in Germany when he was 16 years old. He played two years of college. He was one of the best players on one of the best teams in the country. So uh, I think he can almost satisfy, you know, both of those categories at, at number seven. So he's kind of my dark horse um, at that spot.
0: Yeah, so a real wild card slot at seven large part is the trade potential, but then either because they had that second pick it really go a few different ways. Magic are at eight, their second pick as well. Um, again, this, this draft kind of starts around six or seven. So it's sort of like that fork Agreed. in the road and then it could go different ways. And then there's a domino effect and maybe tr- Maybe a team like Orlando is waiting for a guy, but if he gets drafted already, then they'll trade. So there's a lot of domino effect here around this stretch in the back half or the two middle part of the lottery, so to speak. So at eight at the magic, I know, obviously, because of that fork in the road, you're limited. But where would you where would you suggest?
1: Yeah, um, well, so if the magic draft Scotty Barnes, right, then they need someone who can score the ball because the reality is with Scotty Barnes, like he's not a great scorer. He does everything else, but he's not a great scorer. And then you look down their roster and, you know, I still come back from injury, both these guys, but Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac, neither of them, you know, in their franchise cornerstones, neither of those guys, great scores, you know? And so I think that's kind of what they've needed. Um, so certainly if Jonathan Kaminga is there, he can really score the ball. I think that, you know, could make a lot of sense for him. You know, I look at Moses Moody, as a potential option there, um, you know, he's a guy, they need shooting and then they like length on the perimeter. So, you know, that's who we have mocked there. Now, somebody who could space the floor doesn't need the ball in his hands um, and then gives you some, you know, length and a little bit of versatility. So um, I think he's a guy who, who makes a lot of sense you know, I don't know his is over under, but um, I think his range price starts at seven, maybe get some looks there. Um, and then, you know, anywhere from like, seven to 10 feels like that he's, he's certainly risen. So that's, that's a name that comes to mind. We mentioned Franz Wagner. Um, You know, I think if he's there, he would, he would potentially be in play too. Um, So those are two of the names that come to mind at that spot, especially if they take Barnes.
0: Yeah. You mentioned he's a riser. It's certainly a little bit of movement there with Moody. Um, We saw him run with Arkansas and Musselman in that run of the tournament. So uh, fascinating, fascinating. So then we get to the Kings at nine and it feels like everyone's saying, Wagner there but if Wagner could be off the board um it's really interesting Sacramento obviously not the best draft history so it's kind of a wild card here
1: yeah I think it is I think it is and if if Franz isn't there um you know then where do you go and and you know you you've heard at times like okay maybe they're looking to to get a player from this pick you know maybe they are a team that trades back or trades out you know they've got Deer and Fox They've got Tyrese Halliburton. I think showing that, like, hey, we can be potentially a playoff team, and we we can, you know, build around this young core. Um, maybe if your guy Franz isn't there, you know, you you move out. Um, I think you're hoping that one of like Franz, uh, Booknight, or um, Moody is there. You know, I think putting a another shooter around um, those two playmakers w- would make a lot of sense. It seems like you know, maybe they bring back Rashawn Holmes and free agency. So they kind of figure out their, their big spot. So maybe a wing there um, could make sense. So those are some of the names that come to mind. I mean, maybe Corey Kispert that's maybe where his range begins. Um, but I would, I would think Moody uh, and I would think Franz, you know, both guys in play there.
0: Okay. 10 gets really interesting because of the trade yesterday between new Orleans and Memphis. So now the Pelicans, uh, or excuse me, the Grizzlies are now at 10. What do you make of who, uh, who they may be targeting or why the move up?
1: Yeah. I mean, you, the more, you know, Jonathan, i reported yesterday, I believe that, you know, this might be uh, the sign of more moves. Like they, they might be angling to get even higher, you know, they might be trying to get up to seven. Right. And maybe that's for, you know, they're looking at the, the, uh, whoever's left over a book night in Kaminga, maybe they're looking at, you know, a guy like Franz Wagner, because they feel like they need to jump ahead of sack, you know, right. to go get him. Um, that, that could make some sense. Uh, and if not, you know, I think Josh Giddy is a name that you'll hear, um, just because he, he gives them, you know, a little bit more basketball IQ, another ball handler next to John Morant. Um, so that's, I, I think that one makes a lot of sense. Um, Josh Giddey, there seemed to be kind of a thought around the league that if they were at 10, you know, he would make a lot of sense. Um, so that's that's where I think, uh, you know, Giddey gets some looks at, at seven um, to Golden State potentially. Um, but I, I think that 10, you
0: know, could definitely be a landing spot for him if they stay put. Yeah, I, I love Giddey as a player. Not that anyone cares, but like that's, that's who I really like. Now, Charlotte obviously uh they had an impressive run they're kind of in a playoff now mode um not many people thought that they have their bat they have the you know obviously ball who's a rookie of the year but where would they go here at 11?
1: Yeah I think they need to put shooting around him you know around LaMelo I mean they could use kind of a young big um but I don't know I mean maybe they just address that you know more so in in free agency there's there's, this is where I think Corey Kispert becomes interesting. I think this is kind of where his range starts. You know, if you look at uh, Mitch Kupchak too, he's kind of got a, a track record of taking, you know, a little bit more veteran guys who can, who can come in and, and help you right away. You know, he's hit, hit on some of those picks in the past. Um, you know, has obviously has a, a longstanding track record of success. And so um, I think Kispert is, is an interesting one there, just because he's one of the best shooters in the draft. He's very accomplished at Gonzaga. You know he doesn't. He's great in transition, kind of filling lanes and stepping into threes, and that's how Lamelo likes to play. You know, so um, he he's one that I'm I'm very intrigued by there. I think if Moody's there, yeah, you look at him. I'm not sure he is. You know, you start thinking maybe about Trey Murphy at that spot if we're talking about shooting. Um, you know, Kai Jones maybe like a, a outside chance there. Just if you're looking to take more of a swing, um, but I, I feel I would feel like decent as decent as you can with the 11 pick that you know like Kispert would be in play
0: yeah so Kispert's got an interesting uh you know over under uh because he's at 13 and a half so it sounds like under you're pretty solid on because um you had him maybe as high as nine but that would be a reach but in that 11 range and even shooting at 10
1: yeah yeah exactly and maybe again maybe 11 is the start of the range and, and you know you get to 12 um, you know, are the Spurs really looking for that kind of guy? Are the Pacers really looking for that kind of guy? I think Pacers would probably go Davion Mitchell if he's available. Um, you know, the Spurs, we have the big Turkish kid, Sengun mocked there. Um, so if it's not 11 for Kispert, you know, I can see why maybe that line is that, but, um, just from a
0: basketball perspective, like, I think he makes a lot of sense uh, at 11. Okay. And, and I did want to pivot and talk to, uh, some more over under specific, because you mentioned Sengun, um, and there's obviously been an international flavor for for the draft in years. And, you know, he's coming out of Besiktas in Turkey. So that's a pro pro league for those not familiar um, with that. And it's kind of like the top tier, if I remember correctly, he's a big man. Where do you see how to his range, so to speak?
1: Yeah, he's, he's got an interesting one because I mean, like I said, Charlotte needs a big
0: um, and I, you
1: know, I would think they'll go more ready-made with Kispert over him, you know, San Antonio, obviously has a history with, with international players. When you talk about Tony Parker, manager, Nobly, you know, you can call it Tim Duncan international as well. Um, I, it, it, like just on paper, he seems like their kind of guy just because he's got a great feel for the game. You know, they can use um, kind of a, a young big, honestly. I mean, Jakob Pertl they have, but you know, he's maybe more of a backup on a really, really good team. So, you know, maybe they have a lot of perimeter players. Maybe they invest in a guy like this. Um, you know, as you move down the line, I, I'm not sure that uh, Indiana would do them. You know, they've got a couple bigs there already in line. They just drafted Gogo Bitadze as well, another big. Um, you know, then you look at the Warriors, like they probably need a more ready made guy, you know, at, at 14. Then you look at um, the Wizards, you know, they probably need somebody a little bit more ready to step in, especially if Beal ends up staying there. So, he, he has a little bit of a wide range. I mean, I think maybe like 12 to 18, you know, that second Thunder pick um, is probably his range. Uh, but certainly we've had him at 12 for, for quite some time. And so uh, what is what is his over-under?
0: So Singoon, I mean, obviously every place is is different. Um, but Caesars William Hill does have him, and he, they have him right uh, at the sort of the low end, 11 and a half. So it sounds like you're on the over, you know, mm. you would say over. But his... his yeah yeah is there. I over. I mean, yeah uh, oh, one awesome, guy that,
1: awesome player it's just a risky it's a risky one he's coming you know a lot of people right. haven't seen him
0: so right um the guy that I think is so interesting is Zaire Williams uh, uh, Zaire Williams just because of like his upside is right there teams love him he was hurt a little bit at the end of last year played on a you know terrible uh, Stanford team but where would you see his sort of range
1: yeah, you, you heard him a little bit, as high as, like, 14. Um, you know, I think he's worked out well. That's, that's an area where he looks good. I mean, he's, he's, he's got all the tools to, like, shine in those, that setting just because he's tall, he's athletic, he's got great feet, he can shoot a little bit. Um, so I think, you know, his range by starts there, and then I would say maybe 14 to 20, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Again, those two Oklahoma City picks, I mean, they, they have time. You know, like he's the kind of guy they've had success with highly ranked high school players who maybe fell out of favor a little bit and then they can wait on like they did that with Darius Baisley, you know, like he was once a potential top 10 guy and then, you know, ends up going 20th and and they got some value there, you know. So um, I think somewhere in those teens makes a lot of sense for him, uh, especially because he's he's a long term guy who needs some
0: time. Yeah. I mean, that's about where he is. 18 and a half is his over under. So he could go before and then, you know, guys slip. And then, and like in all sports, like the top 10, obviously more confidence than like the next tier, the middle tier. And then obviously the bottom tier. So there's a lot more forks in the road, so to speak, as the draft goes on longer. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Pretty obvious. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's some guys that are kind of like, you know, out there, so to speak. So, Cam Thomas, I loved him at LSU. His game translates, I think, well to the NBA. It's just about the right fit. Um, He's at like 21 and a half. Any any thoughts there on his range?
1: Yeah, you know, I I feel like it starts for him at at, uh, that New Orleans pick just because they need shooting. You know, they need to put around Zion, right? They need guys who can make shots. Um, But, you know, you hear different things about, Uh, you know, what he's looked like in workouts and and all that. So I do think, you know, he's a polarizing guy. He's a tough one to bet, honestly, because he has, you know, some fans in front offices and then some people who are just like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're not that interested, you know? So um, that's why I think he's got a pretty wide range. Like I think again, like I said, maybe starts at 17 and then goes all the way down to, like, 26 or something like that. You know, like, I think Denver, if you see a guy like that uh, who has talent can make shots and and just focus on scoring what he does well, you probably pick him, you know. Um, But, you know, there are some other teams in that range that, you know, maybe aren't as high on him. So, yeah, he's he's one I would almost stay away from just because of the
0: uncertainty there. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you, because he is sort of a wide range is what I'm reading. Jalen Johnson out of Duke, cut his season short. He's 14 and a half really fascinating because his talent is there, but sounds like he hasn't really kind of resonated.
1: Yeah, I would take, I I think he goes later, you know? Um, I think he goes later and which is almost crazy to say just because, uh, you know, we had him in the top five at one point and, and he's a, he's a big time talent. It's just, it's been a lot of inconsistency, you know, like not even just cutting it short, like when he played at Duke, some days he was there. Some days he was not. You know, and, and so I think teams trying to figure out like how tough is he. And um, but the thing that could throw that for a loop again is like you know if if you're if if Golden State's open for business or whatever, and you're a team, you know later in the first, and like you're just enamored with this kid, you think you have the the infrastructure to to build, you know, help him maximize the potential. Maybe you go up to 14 and you need to pick him. But I think if that doesn't happen, I, I think he probably goes like in the mid mid to late teens.
0: And then some names that are really um, not household names per se, but uh, a guy like Jaden Springer, uh, what is, what's his range in your eyes?
1: Yeah, he's like an internet darling, you know, like he's an analytics darling, you know, people, some people have had him in the top 10 all year, which to me, I, I, I never really understood. I, he's a, he's a nice, nice player, fine player. Um, but I, I think he's much closer to like the end of the first round than where some people have him. I don't know, what is his over under?
0: 22 and a half.
1: Yeah, I, I would take the over. Um, you know, I I, I, I think that uh, when push comes to shove, like teams are either going to be more intrigued with like the Zaire Williams type of guys who are, are like these high upside guys or like the older, you know, uh, Chris Duarte's, Trey Murphy's, um, you know, the Jared Butler's, right like those type of guys. Yeah, and I'm not sure like which bucket is he in, right? So um, I could see him going more in like, you know, the the mid to late 20s than I would uh, in the teens or anything like that.
0: Sharif Cooper's got a similar one, 20 and a half. He's interesting. I, I, I'm i shocked it's as low as 20 and a half, but again, I'm not as plugged in as you.
1: Yeah, he's a talent. I mean, he's a big-time talent. It's just a matter of, you know, what happens, like, like New York, right? You know, they're a team that could use uh, a young point guard. Like, if they keep those picks, you know, maybe they think about him at 19. Not that he's going to help you know, help them make the jump, like to an Eastern Conference power next year. Um, but he can be someone that you like help groom, you know, for the future. Um, again, OKC, you know, can he play with a guy like Shea? Um, do you take a long-term approach with that? Uh, you know, I think Houston is an interesting spot for him. Um, and you know, like I said, they're kind of starting from scratch. They have the ability to take a couple swings. So I think that's his floor. You know, twenty-three, twenty-four. Um, I'm not, you know, he's not quite ready enough to help maybe the Lakers, is, you know, playing off the ball and, and playing with those studs. Um, so I think Houston is. is...
0: Yeah, so I, and I know you're tight on time. We'll leave you with Keon Johnson. He's a guy who's had a range all over the place. Shooting's limited, but he's a guy in the top 10 at one point, maybe even a week ago, but been slipping all over the place. Where would you see his uh, kind of range? I guess we know his range, but 12 and a half is his no over under. Yeah. He's, he's a tough one to wrap your head
1: around just because again, we were, we were very high on him all year. And just the more you hear is, you know, maybe he's more of a mid teens type of guy. Um, And we keep, you know, hammering the the OKC stuff, but they're the perfect organization for a guy like that who's like an athlete. They like athletes who, um, you know, need some time to refine some of his skills, but is like incredibly driven and you bet on the person. Um, So I think, like, he's not going to go lower than 18, and I don't think, um, you know, I, I'm not sure he's going to go to Charlotte, maybe San Antonio, um, but I kind of feel like his range
0: starts at, at San Antonio, you know? Right, right. All right, Mike, dude, this is awesome. Um, following the footsteps of Mel Kuyper Jr., he was nice enough to come in draft week. You <laughs> are as well for the NBA, so really, really appreciate the time. You've been awesome. We had you on the TV show as well, and just wish you nothing but the best of luck and enjoy the ride, man. It's been, it's been wild, but now the focus after the finals is here on the draft and, uh, you know, appreciate all your insight. Of course. Yeah. Hopefully I, I uh, don't lose your, your <laughs> listeners too much money. No, they're everybody's in charge of their own. It's just good to gather information, which you certainly provided a lot of. So thank you very much. Yeah, no doubt. Sounds to me like you guys a couple of bookies. All right, great stuff by Mike. Um, can't thank him enough for all uh, all he did. He was on Daily Wager uh, show yesterday. I mean, we just talked to him while he was driving to Brooklyn to uh, prepare for all the draft coverage. And as you guys would imagine, we're having tons of content, TV stuff. So for him to squeeze us in, that was really, really awesome of him. So lot to take away. It sounds like his uh, kind of interesting, most interesting ones were Jaden Springer. If you could, if you have that over under 22 and a half over, now you got to sweat it out for a couple hours. But that's important. Also, the guys like Cam Thomas, stay away. I mean, th- th- there is such a wide range. So sometimes there's not an option. Now, I didn't ask him about Davion Mitchell out of Butler, six-foot guard. Um, his kind of stock is dropping, not because he's getting any worse of a player, but just there's more upside to other guys. So there, Mitchell, like a week ago, was eight and a half. That got pounded to the over. Ten and a half right now, I still think it's worth pounding to the over. I mentioned Keon Johnson. He was like at the nine and a half or eight and a half, something like that. He's at 12 and a half. We just talked about it with Mike. I still think over is the play there. Um, so that's, that's like my – those are like my top plays. Now, it's interesting. Now, really got to kind of get a pen and paper out, computer spreadsheet, whatever, and just write down all the guys that – are talked about in those tiers at the top of the draft, right? We have one through three that's kind of set. You can bet index betting for all those guys, right? You can go Mobley at three at minus 160. That's what I like the most of those top three. Then you have that next tier of Suggs, Barnes, Booknight in some order, right? So the draft kind of starts at seven. Book Someone else could go six, but let's just say for this, and there's all these guys with like 11 and a half and ten and a half. and 10 and Like there's only three of the guys that can go under 10 and right? Or excuse me, four, like seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. So... There is that Kaminga, um, who I think is part of that top seven. He could go as high as four or five. So then there's Giddy, there's Kispert, there's Wagner. Um, so you just kind of do the math and follow the juice. And then there's some opportunities where you might just go over it. Because if there's one guy that leaps, let's just say it is Giddy up into the top nine. Or even a guy like, I don't know, Kai Jones. Someone wants an athletic big like that. then Or Singun, right? Then, although, you know, Mike just said his, his range is 12 to 18, but like that, that really, um, you know, that really just sort of uh, just think it through, you know what I'm saying? So we talked about this with the Bengals who had the five pick. It was a Sewell. His over under was five and a half. Well, the absolute lowest he could have gone was five. And the latest he could have gone was in the teens. So at five and a half, the lowest you can go is five. And the latest, you know, you have to play the over, right? And that's what we happened with Sewell. So we see that. Uh, A similar example is Sharif Cooper, who's 20 and a half. And so the fit is there, and Mike just talked about it, with the Knicks. Now, they're at 21, but excuse me, they're at 19 and 21. So maybe they take them at 19, but you have the whole end of the first round. And there's so many guys, like I just talked about, that could get into seven, ten. There's so many guys that project in that 20 to 30 range that only a couple can go. So we're going to have curveballs. What I would also recommend is people go back to previous mock drafts. And make sure the date is the week of the draft. So the last mock draft, whether whatever outlet, maybe our outlet or other uh, major networks, and just see what happened with the rest of the actual draft. And there's just more movement in the back half than there is the first half, right? Like who's more likely to have, you know, not project and nail the pick, the top three or the bottom three of the first round? It's pretty obvious, right? So um, as the draft goes on, you have those those wiggle rooms because there's going to be a Euro you've never heard of. There's going to be a college guy that's like, oh, that's a big reach but reaches are much more acceptable in the 20 range than they are in like the five range. So that's why these over-unders can get pounded. That's where the opportunity is. And it was great to get Mike's um, insight into like where the range is. And I thought that it was great background to offer check remember track record of veteran guys. I'm like, Oh, that's a good point. So Kispert's maybe even more of a pick Moody, if he's available, but he probably won't be available. But Kai Jones, that could be as high as 11 there, maybe 10 uh, if Memphis even moves off that, but they may need shooting. So it's fascinating, and then obviously stay tuned for trades and keep an eye and, and inquire when your book in your state takes down the, uh, the the props, because some have to do it 24 hours, some don't. So keep that in mind with everything so fluid this week. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Behind the Bets podcast. Thanks to Mike Schmitz. Go check him out. He's on Twitter. He's everywhere. He's awesome. Um, really good feel for the betting, which is actually an indication how far we've come in our little arena of sports betting And uh, we'll see you back here next week.